Do you ever try to negotiate with God for an outcome you desire? Well, today, Pastor Chris provides a lesson on trusting God with all your heart as he lays out Genesis chapter 28, where we find Jacob negotiating with God and how that impacts the next 20 years of his life. Let's take a listen. Well, hello and welcome back. We are in Genesis chapter 28 today, and if you have not opened your Bible yet in this series, today's the day to do it. Open up to Genesis chapter 28. Uh, you can look on your device, just click on Genesis chapter 28 if you have an online Bible or a device Bible. If you have a paper Bible, all the way to the back of the book and flip over 28 pages or so, and you will be there. We have been following along with this family that is the origin of faith for the Christian faith, for the Jewish faith, and really for the Muslim faith or the the, the Arab uh, nations as well. Um, the guy's name is Abraham, and he is uh, a pagan worshiper, as far as we know, living in a pagan land, and God shows up in his life and does this amazing thing. And he tells him, look, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you this land that I'm going to show you. But before, we, before you see the land, I need you to leave this land. So God says, follow me and trust me. And Abraham does. Abraham believes God enough to do what God says, and that is counted towards Abraham as righteousness. Now, Abraham makes a lot of mistakes along the way. He eventually has this son, Isaac, who makes a lot of mistakes along the way. If you missed last week, go back and, and watch that message. Um, and, and Abraham has, or Isaac, uh, Abraham's son, has two sons, Jacob and Esau. They're twins. And last week we saw that Jacob and Esau are very different. Um, the entire family is kind of dysfunctional, making um, making really bad decisions in how they treat one another and reaping a harvest in their family of dysfunctionality and of, of, of an environment that nobody would really want to live in. And, and so what we watched last week is Jacob was supposed to get the birthright and the blessing of his father because, not because he was the oldest, and that would have been typical, but because his brother Esau gave it to him in exchange for a bowl of soup. Uh, but Isaac, the father, didn't want Jacob to have it. He wanted Esau to have it. Esau was his favorite. And so they were sneaking around, getting ready to pass this blessing and this birthright off to, to Esau. And Jacob's mother, Rebecca, finds out about it. And Jacob and Rebecca scheme, come in, lie to Isaac, and get him to bless Jacob instead of Esau. This all full of trickery. And now we've got a mess on our hands. We got a big mess on our hands because his brother Esau is furious and has threatened to kill him once his father dies. And so we're going to actually pick up at the very end of chapter 27. What happens is is Rebecca catches wind that Esau has threatened to kill Jacob. And it's like, I got to get Jacob out of here. I'm going to send him to my brother who lives 450 miles away, about a month's journey. I'm going to send him there at, until his brother calms down and we can get the family back together. But she has to get Isaac to actually come up with the idea. So she goes to Isaac in uh, verse 46 of Genesis 27. And it says this, then Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. Esau had married two Hittite women 
And they made their lives, their family miserable. They just, they, all this unnecessary drama, they, they didn't have their values. It was a mess. And so she says, she goes on, she says, if Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. A little dramatic there. But she, what she's trying to do is to get Jacob to come up with the idea of sending uh, or I'm sorry, t- trying to get Isaac to come up with the idea of sending their son Jacob away to go find a wife that's not from around there. So she's like, I don't want him to marry anybody from around here. Let's send him to my brother's house. Now, the real reason he's got to go is because his brother's going to kill him. If we go back just a few chapters, Isaac was uh, didn't have to leave to get a wife. They, Abraham just sent a servant to go get a wife. But they got to. Uh, Rebecca wants to, needs to get Jacob out of there, and so the plan is hatched, and Jacob is sent away. All right, now we're in chapter twenty-eight, verse one. This is the story continues. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, "Do not marry a Canaanite woman." Woman. Go at once to Paden Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethul. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So basically he says, look, here's what I want you to do. Don't marry any of these women around here. I want you to go back to our ancestral land, back to your, your, your uncle, and find a wife from among your cousins. Now, again, modern day, this is strange. We don't marry our cousins unless you're from Virginia. But... Uh, but then the gene pool was a little bit smaller. The population was small, smaller. This was not unusual. In verse 3, he goes on. He says, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of people. So he's kind of speaking the blessing that God had spoken over Abraham, over Jacob, over his son. He's, he's saying it again. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may, t- may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner and the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, son of Bethul, our Aramian, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. All right. So now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and had sent him to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Padan Aram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women, his wives, were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Nebaioth, the daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. All right, this is, this is a classic blunder. I mean, Esau completely misreads what his parents were saying when they sent Jacob off. He's like, oh, you don't like my Canaanite wives? No, not so much that. He's like, I'm going to marry a cousin. That must be what they want. So he goes and finds a third wife, and um, this... Again, if you've missed the story to this point, Ishmael was Isaac's half-brother. He was, uh, his origin was, uh, was kind of a, a blunder in the story. And ultimately, Ishmael gets 
kind of banned from the family and sent away. So Esau creates a more significant problem. He adds a third wife. Just to be clear, the more wives, the more confusion and the more chaos you're going to bring into a family unit. All right, so so there's that, but he thinks, he thinks oh, they want, wanted me to marry a cousin. So he goes off and marries a cousin from a banished side of the family. It's a mess. He still marries the wrong wo- woman. Well, let me, let me just, this is kind of a sidebar note, but I think it's important. And just a word to those of you who are considering marriage. Choose well. Choose well and choose for the right reasons. The person you marry will determine your success or failure in life more than just about anything else. They will determine your happiness or your misery more than just about anything else. And we make the decision to get married just as Esau did for the wrong reasons. We, we do as well. well. We'll do things like, well, we're just so in love. That's a stupid reason to get married. I mean, it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of nice. I mean, we all love love and love stories and all of that. And I think it's an important component. But love is blind. And the other side of love is that it's stupid. Like we, we just make bad decisions. And you have to be able to pull your head out of the clouds long enough to take a sober analysis of what's going on and who that person is. Are they following God the way you're following God? Are they... Are they high drama and dysfunctional? Is their family high drama and dysfunctional? Because you're marrying their family too. Uh, Do they have the same values you have? Will they raise kids the way that you would want your kids to be raised? Because the implications of saying I do do not just affect you. They affect your parents, as we've seen in this story. They also affect your kids, your grandkids, and everybody on from there. So make that decision well. Choose well. Uh, Esau does not. All right, but back to Jacob, because he's kind of the main guy in this story. Jacob, by right, is the heir. He has the blessing. He, his father is incredibly wealthy, so he's a wealthy guy. But because of his own deception, because of what he did with, with his, his father lying to him, deceiving to get that blessing, he has to leave. Because of his own deception, he leaves like a, a dog with his tail between the leg, his, his legs. He's running away. He doesn't have anything. According to Genesis 32, the only thing he has with him is a, is a staff, a walking stick. He should have servants carrying him, but he doesn't. He leaves on his own with nothing. And he takes off and he travels a day. In verse 10, it says, Jacob left Beersheba where they were and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. Now, 
Isaac is his father, but Abraham is the father of faith, the father of this promise, and it would be totally appropriate to call him his father in this context. And then God just opens up the blessing on Jacob. He says this, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. This is the blessing that God had spoken over Abraham. when, When Isaac speaks a blessing over Jacob, he says, may God bless you with this blessing. And now this blessing is coming in this dream. And he says, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until you have done or until I have done what I have promised you. So he lays down, he has this kind of profound dream. This isn't one of those dreams where you wake up and go, hmm, I wonder what that means. I wonder what's going on in my subconscious. That was weird. No, this is one of those dreams you wake up from, or that he woke up from, certainly, and was like, God is in this place, which we were about to read. Like, that was a God dream. And I heard some very specific things from God. And God seven times says, I will. And six promises he makes to Jacob here. Profound. Some of the best promises you could ever get from God. He says, I'm going to give you and your descendants this land, the the promised land. Maybe you've heard of it. He said, your descendants are going to be like the dust in the earth. They're going to spread and grow and you're going to be a nation. Now, up to this point, this is the same promise he made to Abraham and to Isaac. And, and we've got two heirs, right? We've got two kids at this point. Well, Jacob ends up having 12 sons who become the 12 patriarchs of the 12 tribes of Israel. So this is kind of the origin of that nation really budding and taking, taking root. Then he says, all the people on earth are going to be blessed through you. That will be Jesus. That will be the Messiah who will come to rescue And he says, I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land that I've promised you. I will not leave you. These are some great promises in this profound experience and dream that Jacob has with God. And we know it was profound because in verse 16, it says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it. He anointed it with oil, which would have been a religious thing to do in their day. And he called that place Bethel, which means the house of God. Though the city used to be called Luz, he changed the name. Then Jacob made a vow saying, and here's what I want you to do. If you're underlining or writing, underline the word if. And this is what he says. This is, this is profound and a profound mistake. He says, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then, an underlined then, this is an if-then, this is a negotiation with God. If God will do all these things, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all, And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. All right. 
So he has this profound encounter with God. God makes him all these promises, speaks all this blessing over his life. And his response is, well, God, if you come through for me, let's negotiate here a little bit. Lord, if, if you do this, this, and this, if you come through, well, I might do my part. If you come through and you provide all these things that I want, then I'll worship you. Then I'll, I'll build a church here. Then I'll, I'll tithe. I'll give back to you what, what's yours, what you, what you ask for. If you bless me, then I'll worship you, basically is what Jacob is saying here. Now, what is he doing? Why would he, why would he respond this way? Well, he's doing what, what we do, right? My guess is that, that many of us have had an encounter with God. At some point or another, maybe it was in a church service or on a mountaintop or in a tree stand or, or a, a quiet moment where, where God just spoke into your life and you knew it was God. And for those of us that haven't had that, I believe we, you eventually will. And maybe it was so profound, even in that moment, you bowed down and said, God, I'm in, I'm, I'm going to follow you. But then, and then you begin to bargain. And then you begin to say, well, God, if you get me through this, well, God, if you, you do that, God, if you bless my kids, if you bless my business, if you bless my marriage, if, if you fulfill this dream that I have, if, if, if you make me rich, well, then, God, I will obey. Then, God, I will worship you. Then, God, I will give you what's due to you. Jacob's negotiating with God. Remember Jacob, the schemer has this powerful encounter with him, and he worships in the moment, but then he takes back control of his life and says, well, God, I'll give you what's due you if you do for me these things that I want you to do for me. And over the next 20 years, he wrestles his way through life. Things get not pleasant, and he didn't have to. He could have received God's blessing right then, if he would have just surrendered to God and obeyed God and worshiped God. And this is exactly what so many of us do. We have this and we'll have an encounter with God and, 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 and after kind of the, the glitz of the moment or the, the experience of that moment kind of fades a little bit, we'll say, well, I'll obey you if, and we end up retaining control rather than surrendering our lives to God, ultimately. And we end up wrestling our way through life rather than walking in the blessing of God. There's so many Christians who are like, well, I believe the right things about Jesus, but man, everything's a wrestling match. Well, it's all about surrender. It's all about obedience. And in the midst of that, there's a blessing that comes. It doesn't make life 100% easy. I'm not saying that, but you can tell when you're walking in God's blessing rather than wrestling. Which brings me to point number one. We get to choose whether God's blessing, blessings will be filled with joy or mixed with sorrow. We get to choose whether God's blessings will be filled with joy or mixed with sorrow. He blesses Jacob, and God will eventually fulfill those blessings or fulfill those promises. But Jacob is gone for 20 years. He never gets to see his mother again. He gets to his, his uh, uncle Laban's house and, and, uh, 
and his uncle tricks him. He ends up marrying two of his daughters, but it was tricked into marrying the first and had to work for 14 years to pay dowries for these two girls, the first one he didn't even want to marry in the first place. And here he is, by rights, one of the wealthiest guys in the world, but he can't. He doesn't have any of that. He has to work another six years to try and save enough money to make the journey home. And all of those years could have been a blessing instead of a struggle. But he insisted on doing it his way. Now, ultimately, God keeps his promises because God always keeps his promises. But Jacob made the journey harder than it needed to be. Point number two, when you try to rush God, things slow down. When you try to rush God and his plan, things slow down. Jacob took a 20-year detour. He had to run because he was looking at the situation with his brother and the blessing and all of that and said, somebody's got to do something, even if we've got to lie and deceive to do it. Now, if we go back in the story, when Rebecca was pregnant with the boys, God had spoken and said that the, the younger or the older will serve the younger. It was a kind of a prophecy that, that ultimately Jacob would be the one who would have the blessing, who would have the birthright. But now they see Isaac's trying to slip it off to Esau. And so they had to take action. They had to help God out a little bit, right? And if it required a little bit of lying and some deception to do that, they were just helping God out. They were trying to, to move the plan along, right? They knew this was the plan. And it ends up bringing a, a, a huge detour and a lot of pain to the process. Got to make it happen. Got to move it along. Always does. It reminds me of the story of Moses. You know, Moses was, was born at a time in, the, in, in history when the nation of Israel and the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt and had been for hundreds of years. He was adopted uh, by the princess uh, in Egypt, the Pharaoh's daughter, and he was raised in the palace. But eventually, as he grew, he realized, oh, wait a second, I'm an Israelite. And so he, he kind of gets this sense that, that he's supposed to help liberate his people. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 23, it gives a kind of an account of what happened when Moses goes out to see his people. In verse 23, it says, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Now that was not the thing to do, but he was like, well, God's called me to liberate the Egyptians or not the Egyptians to liberate the, the Israelites. And so he, he gets ahead of God. He tries to make it happen. He tries to rush God. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, who made you the ruler and the judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. And after 40 years had passed, I'm going to stop there. 
Moses decided that he was going to get in and help God. He was going to move things along. He was going to, to make it happen. And he ends up taking a 40-year detour to the backside of the desert. Guys, we have the capacity to slow things down, to take, and God's really patient, like 20, 30, 20, 30 40 years, no big deal to him, big deal to us. It's a huge detour. And it all comes down to one fundamental question, and that's this. Who am I going to trust? Who am I going to trust? Am I going to trust God that he knows the big picture, he knows the plan, his promises are good, and his ways are right? Like, I'm going to go further faster if I'm obedient to God instead of trying to scheme and manipulate and 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 bend the truth and 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 everything else to make things happen the way I think they should happen under the guise of helping God out? Or am I going to, so am I going to trust myself or am I going to trust him? Jacob and Rebecca obviously trusted themselves. They took matters into their own hands and this whole process slows down. There's a 20-year detour. Same thing with Moses on the backside of the desert for 40 years. All of this, and really I think the kind of the crux point of this message today and what I would encourage you to memorize is a couple of verses found in Proverbs chapter 3. It's Proverbs 3, 5 through the first part of 7. And if you can memorize this and you can get this into your head, more importantly get it into your heart, this will change the way you go through life. Memorize it. And this is what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust God. Trust Him. He is trustworthy. He is good. He's got your best interest in mind. Ultimately, He will lead you through life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In other words, when it comes down to, this is what God said, but this is what I see and think should happen, go with what God said whether that's obeying him and one of one of the, the principles that he lays out in his word or commandments that he lays out in his word, don't compromise on those. If reality and God's word conflict, we go with God's word. But if I but if I, I don't lie, I won't get the job. Don't lie. He has another job for you. You, you follow what I'm saying? Lean not on your own understanding. God can see around the next corner over the horizon. He can see the beginning from the end. You can't see past the horizon. He can. Trust God. And don't lean on your own understanding. Lean on Him. Lean on His Word. Lean on His ways. Lean on His promises. And then in verse 6, it says, In all your ways, submit to Him. Surrender to Him. Obey him. And then what? He will make your paths straight. straight. Straight paths are faster than crooked paths. And God knows the fastest way between this point and the next point. When we get involved and start meddling and trying to help God out and rush him along, we end up on crooked paths. And then in verse 7, it says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Jacob was wise in his own eyes. Jacob, the, the schemer, his, his head was, his, his mind was always spinning. He was always trying to game the system, come up with, 
with what he could do next. Uh, he thought he was smarter than God, I think. He's trying to make things happen in a way where he comes out on top, and God has already promised him, you're going to come out on top, buddy. But instead of trusting God and doing what was right, he schemed and he negotiated and he ended up slowing things down tremendously. He ended up making the journey much more difficult along the way. And he thought he was smarter than God. And the truth is, there's a little bit of Jacob in every one of us, isn't there? We think, well, I really want this, and it's not working out this way, so I'm going to make it happen. You know, Mr. or Mrs. Wright is taking so long getting here, and this guy's here right now, and they're not really 100% what I want, but, but he'll do. We'll make it happen because the clock's ticking, right? And, we, and we, we jump in and we try to make things happen rather than waiting on God and His timing. Well, I really need this job, right? But in order to get it, I'm going to have to bend the truth a little bit. So I don't bend the truth. If it's not that job, it will be another job, but don't compromise on God's, God's commandments to get what you want. But that's what Jacob does. That's what we do. We're pursuing our dream and we're willing to, you know, do whatever to make that happen, whether it's not spending time with our family or, you know, cutting corners along the way. When in reality, if that dream's from God, it's going to happen anyway. And if it's not, it's going to be a nightmare if you make it happen. Jacob's just doing what we do. We just, are, we just do what Jacob does. And the, the lesson here is stop, stop. Every time Jacob and Rebekah took matters into their own hands, it made sense. They needed to help God out because, well, the, the blessing was going to go to Esau. So they had to jump in and do something, and the ends justified the means. Guys, the ends never justify the means. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust God, and He will use all of that to get you where you need to be and quicker than you're going to get there on your own. Which brings me to point number three. The longer you delay surrender and obedience, the longer you will wait for God's blessing. The longer you delay surrender, the longer you will wait for God's blessing. Rather than obeying God on the spot, Jacob makes a deal. If you provide safety, if you provide clothing, if you provide food, if you give me this, this, and this, and this, then I will worship you. Then I will give you your due. How many of us hold back on obedience to God? Negotiating, God, well, if you do this, if you get me through that, if you, if, you know, if, if I, uh, you know, if I get that raise, if I win the lottery, then I'm going to give a bunch of money to the church, and then I'm going to be, you know, then I'll be faithful. And, and, and Jesus made very clear, if you're not faithful with a little, you won't be faithful with a lot. God calls us to be faithful with, the, with what He's blessed us with, whether it's our stuff or the lives He's given us, whether we have a little or a lot. And as we're faithful with a little, he blesses us with more and more blessing. But when we're not, we are delaying God's blessing in our lives. You know, Christy and I learned early on when we got married that 
we made this decision. We're, we're, we're going to do our marriage God's way, our relationship God's way. And we have seen incredible blessing in our relationship ever since. Now, has it been perfect? No. But you know when you're blessed. And I am a blessed man. And we are a blessed couple. We made the decision early on that we were going to do what, what Jacob says here, which is called tithing. God gets the first 10% of what he blesses us with back on a $26,000 salary. I know it's gauche to say what your salary is, but that's what it was, and I think it makes the point. We didn't have hardly anything. But we chose, come hell or high water, we were going to do what we felt like God commanded us to do. We did, and He has blessed our socks off. Now, I'm not a rich man. I'm a blessed man, and I've always had plenty. And I believe a lot of it is because God has not delayed His blessing in my life, because I have not delayed my obedience. The longer you delay surrender, the longer you will wait for God's blessing. And I know... I know what you're thinking, but I'm not ready. I mean, like, I, but I'm not ready to get married. Okay, well, then stop living together, you know? Like, like I'm not ready to, to, to you know, like my, my, my finances, I still have all this other stuff. Like, I know, I know. That's why it's called a step of faith. And so do what is right. If you're living with somebody... Either get married after sober assessment, remember my comment earlier, <laughs> or move out. But obey God. You are delaying God's blessing in your life because you're not doing what's right. You're trying to, to make it happen yourself. If you're not faithful with your, with your resources and your stuff, you can't expect God's blessing anymore. You're delaying His blessing in your life. And point number four. You have the ability to make the easy more difficult or the difficult easier. You have the ability to make the easy more difficult or the difficult easier. God makes you a promise. He promises you, if you choose Jesus, your sins are forgiven, you're adopted into His family, He comes by His Spirit and lives inside of you and changes you from the inside out and guides you and directs you and will lead you through this life. It's an amazing promise, and you can go to the bank on it. And sometimes the path we travel in this life will be on the easy side of things, and sometimes this path that we travel in this life will be on the difficult side of things. Like, and, and, and just because you come to faith in Jesus doesn't mean that you get the easy life. You don't get to choose. You don't get to choose your genetics. Some of us have genetics that predispose us to to different illnesses or whatever. You didn't get to pick that. And that's not going to go away just because you become a Christian. You don't get to pick what country you're born in. We are born in the, if you're born in the United States of America, I mean, we have it pretty easy from, from resources and finances to, to, uh, medical care that we have access to, to freedom, to worship. I mean, Christians who are born in uh, China, are persecuted, are, they, I mean, guys, if you've ever traveled outside this country, you'd realize how easy we have it. And you don't get to pick what family you're born in, right? Some of us were born into some pretty, pretty amazing crazy. 
You didn't get to pick them. And that makes life a little harder. All of those things make life harder or easier, depending. And they don't go away just because you become a Christian. But you do, you don't get to choose those things, but you do get to choose how you respond to them. And I'm here to tell you, if you respond with faith, if you respond with worship, if you respond with trust and obedience, instead of with scheming and negotiating and fear, the hard will become easier. If you respond with scheming, negotiating, and fear, the easy will become harder. You know, sometime around Jacob's era, there was another guy, wealthy guy who lived on the earth. His name was Job. And Job was, was the richest man in the world in the days that he was alive. He was blessed. He had a beautiful family. Everything was going really well for Job. And then in one day, he lost it all. He lost his family. He lost his wealth and his riches. He lost his health. And he was in a miserable place. And Job's response to that entire situation and his statement to God was, I will bless you even if you slay me. Jacob's response after this blessing that was spoken over his life was, I will, I will worship you if you bless me. He's negotiating with, and I want more. Keep it coming. Then you get the worship you need. I believe that Jacob made the easy way. He should have, he should, J- Jacob should have had the best life ever. But he made the easy way hard with a 20-year Detour of hardship. Job made the hard way easier because that season of difficulty and suffering he was going through, it was a short season with a huge double blessing at the end of it. Because we don't get to pick whether whether this life is going to be an easy easy path or or a hard path. For most of us, it's a mix of both, right? But here's what I know. God has a plan for your life. And most likely it's going to have some easy and it's going to have some hard. The question that we need to answer is, are we going to walk on straight paths or are we going to walk on crooked paths? Are we going to walk by faith or are we going to walk by sight? Are we going to try and make it happen or are we going to obey and trust God? And guys, that trust in God we call faith and it's such a beautiful thing. It changes the way you walk through this life and the way that you experience all of it. Because when you get through your head that you can trust God with all your heart, you can relax a little bit. You can take a deep breath. And whatever you're going through at the moment, know that God's in control and He's going to get you on the straightest path to where you need to be. That's incredibly good for your mental health in a world where Mental health issues are off the chart. Faith in God brings peace to our hearts and minds. And life may not be perfect, but it will go better when you trust, surrender, worship, and obey God. It does. So the lesson here simply is this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Believe that he's good, that he loves you, that he's working in your ultimate best interests. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. You're not smarter than God. Stop scheming and maneuvering and being willing to compromise to get what you want. Obey God. Do what is right, even if it costs you. And if you do, in all your ways, submit to him. Surrender and do what is right in his eyes. He will make your path straight. He will make your life blessed. Not perfect, but blessed. He will give your heart peace. He will give you what you need, and he will get you to where you need to be. And it starts with surrender. It really all comes back to surrender, doesn't it? And that surrender begins with Jesus. You know, Jesus shows up a couple thousand years later. He lives a sinless life, and then he's crucified on a cross as a sacrifice to pay for the sins of every human being, to pay for your sins, so that those sins can be washed away, so that we can be adopted into God's family, so that his spirit can come and live inside us and guide and direct us and give us peace. And if you have not surrendered to him and placed your faith in him, that's where this journey begins. And I want to invite you to do that today. Close your eyes, bow your head wherever you are, and just tell God this. Say, Lord, I give you my life. I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. I place my faith in Jesus today. Adopt me into your family. Come into my life and help me to live this way. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.